Welcome to Sports Rivals with Monty and Ernie, lively, entertaining banter on sports topics you want to hear. to the month of June. It is another edition of the Sports Rivals as we get ready for Game 5 of the NBA Finals tonight as this is released on Monday. Ernie, it's Game 5, two games apiece, mm-hmm. Golden State and Boston alternating wins. Um, tell me what you thought this week. You know, they last week it was 1-1. You were feeling pretty good. Then they won Game 3 to go up 2-1. And then Golden State came back and won Game Four. So through the first four games, your thoughts on on where this series is and what's going to happen in the next three yeah, games? Yeah, this, this, this is actually uh, where I thought it would stand. You know, going into Game Five, I thought it would be two two. Except I didn't think Boston would have taken Game One. I thought they were going to take Game Two and Game Four. Uh, it's been the exact opposite. On top of that, I mean, throughout this whole entire playoff series, Boston is holding to form. Uh, They do not lose two games in a row. They are actually better on the road than at home. They hold uh, currently a 9-2 record, I believe, away from the Boston Garden, but a a paltry 6-6 record at home. So it's like, uh, I'm glad that we don't have home court advantage. I mean, so it's basically a best out of three series from here, and two are at Golden State. I don't know if that's going to... Uh, if that bodes well for Boston because they play, uh, uh, like I said, better away. But it's been a, a case of turnovers. I mean, Boston limits their turnovers and they win. Boston commits turnovers and they lose. And in this case, it wasn't really a team turnover effort, but it was a turnover effort in regards to one Jason Tatum. He had he had six of those turnovers in in uh, game four, and that pretty much limited their offense. The Boston defense is doing what they need to do. They're holding a... A very powerful Golden State uh, team that averaged close to 111 points in these playoffs to maybe five or six points less in this particular series, but they're not scoring themselves. So uh, that's the issue that's going to have to be corrected. Okay, so from your perspective as a Boston Celtic fan, I mean, I think 2-2, you're fairly confident they've played well on the road. I don't think that you're overly concerned that this is not a winnable series. On the flip side, if you're a Golden State fan, I think you need to be very happy that you're 2-2 considering considering only Steph Curry who's the to me as an objective person on the outside clearly the best player so far in this finals he's carrying that I mean you have a situation with Golden State where Draymond has been just brutal for three games he's been brutal one game he was all right and then same with Clay. Clay had one decent game in game three. Right. And other than that, he's been brutal. Steph is really not getting any help. The second best player has been Andrew Wiggins. Right. Um, you know, especially in game four on the rebounding side, he was a he was a beast on the rebounds. But I think Golden State, you're two two. Clay and Draymond, two of your big three, have been brutal through the first four games. Um, and you're still two two. You gotta feel pretty good about that. If I'm a Boston fan, you know, as you are, I got to think that my team can play better. I mean, um, I was really surprised that they lost game four because they had the lead for most of the game. Mm -hmm. They've been dominating the fourth quarter. And normally when you get scoring out of Marcus Smart, they're very, very hard to beat. And Marcus Smart scored, you know, in in game four. Um, But they found a way in the fourth quarter to hold the Boston Celtics in check and and where Boston was always hitting the big shots it just didn't happen the last six minutes uh, of game four exactly and and, and that's where it all fell apart and the Boston Celtics are the bigger team they have the most length they have the younger legs they failed to drive the ball not that they failed to drive the ball but they took 13 three-point shots yeah they to me I think they've been settling for the three all series it's just that they were hitting it at, at certain times. Um, but you're absolutely right. They've got the younger legs. they got the better stamina, which is why they've been dominating the fourth quarters. And for whatever reason, they allowed Golden State to control the pace of game four. 
where Golden State was working, getting the shot that they wanted, and Boston would rush down and take another three. And then Golden State would get the ball, walk it up the court, you know, work the ball. And if it gets into a free throw shooting contest at the end, you're going to lose against Golden State because you have three guys shooting 90%. And I think that's what happens. So I'm very curious to see what happens in game five. I would think, like you said last week, Boston doesn't lose two games in a row. Golden State doesn't lose two games in a row. That bodes well for you because Golden State lost the first game. Mm -hmm. So even if they alternate, eventually Boston wins in seven. Right. And I really think this game five is very pivotal. I think if Boston secures game five, I think they win this series in six. I think if Golden State wins in five, they're going to win in seven. So I think this next game coming up at Golden State will be for the championship, in my opinion. I think if Boston doesn't hold true to their form where they don't lose two in a row, they will lose this series. I don't think, I think they, they, can, they can win in Boston, but I don't think they win at Golden State in a game seven. Boston, the Boston Celtics will have to finish this off, in my opinion, in six games. I, I just can't see Boston, I just can't see the Golden State Warriors losing at home at Chase Center in a Game 7 with Steph Curry over there. You know, what? one thing that's been a surprise to me is one of the things that I like about Steve Kerr is that he uses his entire roster. But he that hasn't been the case in this series. No, not at all. He's really shrunk the amount of people that are playing. And to me, the Kamingas, mm-hmm. the Moody's, especially Kaminga provides you a little bit of length, youth, and athleticism to combat what go, um, what Boston is able to present. But he's not played them. I mean, he's going with his core. Um, and I think that's risky. I mean, as Draymond continues to struggle, as he has, you know, I think everybody expected him to bounce back in Game 4 after his brutal showing in Game 3. And it didn't happen. I mean, he was terrible again. Um, wondering why... Kerr is not using some of his youth early in the game. Yeah. Because it showed in all the games except for game four, Golden State is dead in the fourth quarter. They are. And they would have been dead in the fourth quarter in this game, again, if Boston did not, if Boston drove the ball. They took 38 threes in the entire game. 13 of those 38 came in the fourth quarter. Head scratching decision making on the shot selection on top of that. Again, the younger legs should allow you to. To penetrate the paint, they outscored and get just as just, just the disparity in regards to how they dominate inside the paint. In game three of this series, Boston basically doubled them in points in the paint. In game four, they were basically tied. So they, uh, to me, it wasn't anything Golden State did. I mean, I give credit to Golden State for being in the game, keeping it close. That's what they do. They always have that good third quarter they again won the third quarter i believe by six points in this particular situation but boss the boston celtics did not take the right shot selection and it showed and the, their leader on the court had again six turnovers on his own he had three i mean two in the fourth quarter uh very untimely shooting uh the the moment you can you as a boston celtics fan you felt the momentum shift you just felt it so it is what it is. Well, for the average NBA fan that doesn't have a rooting interest in this, I, I think they're thrilled that it's 2-2. Looks like, well, it's guaranteed to go at least six. It's probable to go seven the way things have gone. And I think for the average fan, that's a good thing. Because mm-hmm. if Boston had won game four, it would have been, uh, been really, it really been tough. Yeah. Uh, it it could have been over in five at that point um, if they had closed it out like they had the other game so it's going to be interesting i mean i'm sure you're going to be nervous tomorrow i will uh, I, I, I see that you've restocked the liquor cooler uh to be ready for the game in the event that something does not happen the way you want them to happen but i like i said as an nba fan 2-2 is the way to go yeah. uh, and i look forward to to watching game five tomorrow as this series shifts back to san francisco for game five can boston control curry and then the bigger question is, will the Warriors get somebody else involved? Because mm-hmm. I have a feeling that if it's going to continue to be just Curry, he's going to run out of gas before Game 7. He is 34 years old, and he's exhausting himself. Uh, and when you're a shooter, that's a tough thing to do. You're not just a scorer, you're a shooter. 
once the legs go, it's very hard to to, to handle that. So yeah. he's going to need some help. If the help doesn't come, I expect Boston to bounce back tomorrow and win and put him away in game six on yeah. Thursday. Yeah, I think that's what's going to happen because they, they did try to make a slight adjustment starting Otto Porter in, in, in uh, game four. That was a huge mistake. Boston Celtics really attacked him. He, he looked out of place as a starter. Uh, Kevon Looney came in like four minutes right after that. I mean, they knew that that was the mistake. So I believe Steve Kerr goes back to his, his normal starting lineup and they hope that uh, Steph has a 40-pointer again in his bag. But he's to me, he's going to have to do that in two out of the three games. I like Boston's chances. I mean, I'm not overconfident at, at in any particular point. Again, if they lose Game Five, and I mean they by the Boston Celtics, I I, I don't think I don't think uh, uh, they can get through it. I, I do agree that Game Five is going to be critical. However, even if Boston were to lose a Game Five, I still don't rule them out to win six at home and come back and win on the road. They've proven it time and time and time again. They beat Milwaukee in a crucial Game Six True. in Milwaukee. They beat Miami in a Game Seven in Miami. Um, I don't think Boston is afraid of winning on any court, anywhere, shape, or form. Doesn't mean they will, mm -hmm. but I certainly think that they have that ability. So, all right, Ernie, got to be on pins and needles as Boston is shooting for another NBA championship. <laughs> so, we're going to do something. We're going to shift a little bit to the, to the NFL. Uh, and, and, you know, those of you that follow the NFL closely, especially those of you that follow fantasy football, you know that pro football focus comes out with all kinds of rankings we're going to talk a little bit about that but before we get to that i do want to congratulate um to a team and an individual we forgot to mention this last week but mm -hmm. rafael nadal won his 22nd major wow. his 14th french open last week which is incredible he's now two ahead of of uh, jokovic and federer who had 20 you know uh, grand slam titles each nadal is now at 22 with his 14th French Open Championship. That's just mind-boggling when you think of one person winning that many of one Grand Slam championship. So congratulations to Rafael Nadal. And Ernie and I are both here in Hawaii. And got to tell you, our native girl, Jocelyn Alo, uh, led Oklahoma to a back-to-back -back championship in the NCAA softball tournament, hitting over 500 this season setting a plethora of records um it was a magical ride for her down the stretch mm -hmm. and and chicken skin moment when they put her in the field in the top of the seventh two fly balls that she caught in left field they take her out with two outs in the top of the seven to a thunderous applause uh crying as she left the field but it was a great moment for what i believe is the greatest hitter in ncaa softball mm -hmm. history she's not the greatest player because there are people like Lisa Fernandez and Jenny Finch that were good hitters and brilliant pitchers. Um, and Jocelyn is basically a hitter, you know, but she is the GOAT when it comes to, to hitting. Oh, yeah. She was remarkable this season. And every clutch moment, she came through with a home run. It was as if she was playing slow pitch. It was remarkable. Yeah, I mean, game one, two home runs on that one and a route. But and and give Texas credit because Texas wasn't even uh, seated. I, I mean, one of the seated teams, and they came up through, you know, and they met earlier and lost, and they came up through the losers back bracket to, to you know, get to the championship game. So, but you you knew when the matchup was there, and Oklahoma already beaten them. That this was basically uh, a statistic. And in what was remarkable is in the deciding game, it, it ended up ten five as Texas, you know, hit a three run homer. Uh, in the bottom of the seventh inning. But Oklahoma scored 10 runs, and Jocelyn Alou had a single and a walk, mm -hmm. and Tiari Jennings um, only had a single. So it wasn't the two big boppers, yet they still scored 10 runs. And for those of you that don't follow NCAA softball, this Oklahoma team was the first team in history to have the number one pitching staff, the lowest ERA, and the number one hitting team. Uh, it was, I think they ended up, they scored like 570 runs and they gave up like 40. 
You know, it <laughs> wow. was it was remarkable. They end the year at 59 wins and three losses. I don't care what sports you play. You play 62 times and only lose three. three times. That's remarkable. That, that's so this is arguably the greatest female women's softball team in history and as people in hawaii we are super proud of jocelyn alo uh, and we congratulate the oklahoma sooners and jocelyn alo on back-to-back national championships and for jocelyn back-to-back national player of the year titles props to her all right so ernie let's get to this nfl uh pro football focus and i think the biggest reason that i'm interested in this is I take a little bit of I'm I'm pretty upset with these rankings, Ernie. <laughs> so let's start with the coaching rankings. Okay, okay so let, let's go ahead and start with that. I'm gonna call my my screen up. I'm gonna get this here. So I think you guys all know Ernie's a huge Pittsburgh Steeler fan. I'm a huge Los Angeles Rams fan. So let's go through this list. Let's go through the top 10 coaches. Okay. Now they have their mechanisms, and I think I think the justification that they used were, if all of these coaches had the same average team, which coach would get the most or the best record from an average team? So number one, they have tiers. So tier one is Hall of Fame coaches, and number one is Bill Belichick. No argument. I think all of us can agree that Bill Belichick is one of, if not the greatest coach in history. The greatest. However... I think the longer he coaches without Tom Brady, the more he's going to lose a little bit of luster because it really seems as if New England is really dropping back to the pack. They realistically could be last place in their division this year. They, they could be. They, they could be, but you put any other coach in that situation, they would easily have two or three more losses. Which is, which yeah. is where I think Bill Belichick gets a little bit of the heat because he's not only the coach, but he's the general manager. So he's not doing well in that capacity. Right. But as a coach, he's number one. Number two, John Harbaugh from the Baltimore Ravens. I don't disagree that he's a great coach. Not number two. Number two, ah. Number three, Andy Reid of the Kansas City Chiefs. He's long been considered one of the most brilliant minds. I put him uh, And he has a Super Bowl championship. I don't necessarily have a problem with that. Yeah. Then they go to tier two, what they consider to be good coaches. And this is where it goes completely off the rails. Okay, at number four, they have Arizona Cardinals coach Cliff Kingsbury (laughs) as the fourth best coach in the entire NFL okay well this is a guy who at (laughs) Texas Tech never really had a winning season um shouldn't have had a even an NFL coaching position and they have him ranked number four yeah thoughts on Cliff Kingsbury at number four uh this is if anything it's recency bias and I can understand recency bias but you go if you go anywhere past that, there's no legs to stand. In. There's no foundation. He, 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 there's no Super Bowl here. There is, I mean, who has he coached that he developed as even a Hall of Fame player? He doesn't have the longevity on top of this. This is an insult to at least at least five other coaches who should be. And I could maybe argue 10 other coaches. Yeah, I mean, I really have a problem with Cliff Kingsbury there at number four. I can't imagine the justification for doing that. I know that they've had decent seasons. They Mm -hmm. made the playoff once this past year, got annihilated by the Rams in that one playoff game. Uh, Really have a problem with Cliff, Cliff Kingsbury being number four. Pete Carroll, number five. Now, Pete Carroll has had a tremendous amount of success, but he seems to be another coach that maybe has passed... His prime in terms of a coach, in terms of the philosophy that is working in today's game. But they have him at number five, followed by Green Bay Packers coach Matt LaFleur, who has had a brilliant regular season record. But they're one and out in the playoffs for the last two years as the number one overall seed. You know, no disrespect to, to him, but how can he pass his mentor? How can he pass Sean McVay? He's a, he's a disciple of Sean McVay. Yeah. So, he, so, I mean, that's all about regular season record, I, I'm guessing. And they have a Hall of Fame quarterback in Aaron Rodgers. But Matt LaFleur is six. Kyle Shanahan of the San Francisco 49ers is seven. 
Now, I think Kyle Shanahan is widely considered to be a good offensive, offensive coach. Yeah. A very good coach. However, the bottom line is, if, you, if you're talking about taking an average roster and what would you do with them, he's had two winning seasons. The year that they went to the Super Bowl and last year. Other than that, they've had losing season after losing season after losing season, which is why they've gotten lucky and been able to draft a Nick Bosa right, right. and some of the others. But Kyle Shanahan at number seven, Mike Vrabel of Tennessee at number eight. Now, I don't have a problem with that. I think he's a much better coach than you think. Yeah, um, You know, they're the number one seed in the AFC this year. I think he gets the most out of his players. I don't necessarily have a problem and with that. And he's consistent. Mike is Mike is consistent. And, he, and you know what? Prior, prior, uh, prior to him getting there, I mean, really, that's, that's you know... Uh, other than ru- the running back position, they're average. Even even on the quarterback, I mean, they 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 brought in the Miami quarterback into that system, uh, who failed in Miami and, and made him into a superstar. So to me, he deserves a lot of credit. Eight is eight is right? a little high. I mean, a little low for him. I I would probably. Well, certainly to me, he's higher in today's game than even Pete Carroll and certainly Cliff Kingsbury. So I would agree with you on there. Frank Reich's number is number nine. A good coach. I mean, he had success as an offensive coordinator. He's been a decent coach with Indianapolis. But again, they didn't make the playoffs this year. They were widely expected to do so. So how he comes in at number nine ahead of some other names that we haven't gotten to yet. I'm not sure. And then number 10, Mike McCarthy. Much maligned Mike McCarthy. He got fired from Green Bay. He's been with Dallas and Dallas hasn't done nothing. How can he be number 10? Okay, so Mike McCarthy is there at number 10. So I got to take a deep breath before I get to number 11. (laughs) Number 11 is my man, Sean McVay. How he's number 11 (laughs) when he's the only one on this list that won the Super Bowl this year has had a record that is just insane in his first six years i think he's like 54 and 20 something he's 30 games over 500 he took a team that was just brutal and got him to the super bowl two years later got him back to the super bowl three years later and wins it for the life of me i cannot imagine how sean mcveigh is number 11 when as you mentioned matt lafleur is ahead of him at number six and how many coaches have come from his coaching tree and the guy's still 35 years old? Yeah. Sean McVay's 11. I'm floored by that. PFF, you lose all credibility <laughs> in this regard in your coaching rankings. You're smart with Aaron Donald. But other than that, this coaching ranking's brutal. Yeah, because you got two spots behind uh, Sean McVay, the, the most consistent coach on this entire list. 16 years in the league, never a losing, never a losing season. I got to say that, never a losing season. And he's at 13. I, I, and and 13. number 12 is Brandon Stady, who's been in the league for one year. Sean McVay's defensive coordinator for the Rams two years ago. He's the Chargers coach this year. And I think a lot of people were disappointed that the Chargers didn't make the playoffs. I mean, he made some, he doesn't believe in, in fourth down. He's going to go for it almost every time. I, I don't understand, and I believe he's a good coach, but how Mike Tomlin is below that when he has been, like you said, a winning coach for 16 years, regardless the roster that he's had. Regardless. He's had some brilliant rosters. He's had some substandard rosters. You can, you can have brilliant rosters and just have a bad year. Yes. I mean, I, we've seen that. We, 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 we got to look in AFC North. Cleveland Browns were Super Bowl cha- paper champions for the last three years, and they sucked. Mike Tomlin has done it. I don't, he is definitely top 10. I, I wouldn't be mad if he was behind Sean McVay, but not when Sean McVay is at number 11. <laughs> Sean McVay, I would, I would definitely easily top five. I would actually put him maybe number three, you know, but Tomlin at the least top five yeah i mean it, it was it was I, when i saw this list i was i was really shocked to, to see the list and it's no disrespect to the names like belichick uh, i mean harbo has a has a super bowl title uh, randy reed has a super bowl title pete carroll has a super bowl title but so does mike tomlin two I super mean, bowl he has titles. two, super bowl, two titles, super bowl titles and he's at 13 so 
I am not sure what the criteria is that they specifically used. I know I we told you what the justification is. I just cannot imagine a ranking where Mike Tomlin is 13 and Mike McCarthy is 10 and Cliff Kingsbury is 4. I mean, just... Ernie, that's just ridiculous. It, it is. The, whatever advanced analytics they're using for this, uh, they need to get back to the simple stuff like the eye test because it, it does not pass the eye test. No, it doesn't. Okay, so let's go to another ranking. You know, We're not going to go through all of their rankings right now, but they just came out with the, with the upcoming 2022 NFL receiving rankings. And at the top spot, they have the Philadelphia Eagles – I mean, uh, the Cincinnati Bengals at number one. So I don't necessarily have a big problem with that. Jamar Chase, Tyler Boyd, um, a great, great receiving core. Your thoughts on, on tier one elite wide receiver uh, and having Cincinnati at number one. Yeah, I mean, with Jamar Chase, I mean, he had he had an incredible year. And I look at this more as depth. I mean, you got T. Higgins, Tyler Boyd, and they got they got a... I mean, you don't even remember. Everybody forgot about Ross, who was on their who was on their on their team, and who's that big big burner out of Washington, who was picked in the first round. So, I mean, when you got that guy as your fourth receiver, well, you, he's with the Giants now. Oh, he yeah. He Ross went okay. to the Giants in the off okay. season, but still, Jamar Chase, T. Higgins, Tyler Boyd. There's a reason Cincinnati was in the Super Bowl, and Joe Burrow's the biggest reason. I, yeah. But that wide receiver core is is pretty solid. Yeah, and then at Tampa. They're number two, and you have Mike Evans, and you have Chris Godwin. Now, Chris Godwin is with an ACL, trying to recover from that. Um, but their third wide receiver is Russell Gates. So Tampa Bay has good receivers, and they have good tight ends. We don't, we still don't know if Gronk is coming back. Um, they have some good tight ends, but to have Tampa Bay at number two, I'm okay with that. Number three, the Miami Dolphins. Tyreek Hill. Tyreek Hill was traded to Miami, and then you have Jalen Waddle there. So there is the potential uh, for them. And then you have Mike Jacecki, who's a quality tight end, and you have Cedric Wilson that came from Dallas. So you have the potential that these four are going to be pretty solid. So Miami at number three. Philadelphia at number four. They trade for A.J. Brown, uh, a legitimate number one. Uh, and then they also drafted Devontae Smith last year. And then they have some decent tight ends in Dallas Gobert. This is where I really have a problem. I have a problem with Miami because it's potential. We have to see if that's really going to work. Right. But I get it because you have Tyreek Hill. But with Philadelphia, you have A.J. Brown. Devontae Smith was okay. Um, but I don't see enough there to keep Philadelphia at number four, to tell you the truth. No, not with, not with Jalen Hurts as your quarterback. I mean, I, I, I think A.J. Brown is great, okay? But he needs to have someone throwing to him. And I don't think that uh, nothing against nothing. Uh, I don't want to really diss hurts. He's actually uh, uh, he's doing better than I actually thought he's, he'd be doing. But he's not the type to actually improve your stock if you're a wide receiver. I I yeah I, I'm with you in regards to them being at number four. Yeah, I'm surprised that, that they're number four. Then number five, they have the Raiders. And again, it seems to be if you make a big trade, you're gonna get you know boosted up. So the Raiders did trade for Devontae Adams, who is arguably one of, if not the best wide receiver. And then you have Hunter Renfro and you have Darren Waller. Big contract for Renfro. Yeah. So you have a solid receiving core. They're at number five. Then you have San Francisco at six. So San Francisco, you have Debo Samuel. We might not even know if he's going to be there. And then you have George Kittle. And that's really it. Then you have some okay players. So how is San Francisco at six? When at number seven in the next lower tier is my Los Angeles Rams, who have Cooper Cup, who is the greatest, who had the greatest wide receiver season in NFL history. You also sign Allen Robinson, who has been one of the premier wide receivers in all of football, except for last year when he was playing for the pathetic Bears with no offensive line and a rookie wide receiver. Rookie quarterback. Yeah, rookie quarterback. And then you also have uh, Van Jefferson, and then you possibly have Odell Beckham coming back. Mm -hmm. But even if you don't, just just the fact that you have Cup, and you have Robinson, and you have Jefferson, and you have our tight end in Tyler Higbee, 
to me, places them ahead of the Eagles and the 49ers at this point. I, I agree. I don't know where the analytics go on top of there. I, I don't know if they're anticipating that this is a, a, you know, a flash year for Cooper Cup and then he comes back into uh, to his own. I don't know if they think that Odell Beckham just uh, was playing Mr. Goodbar for one year just to get his money and then he's going to be come, come going back to Odell Diva. So who knows? I, 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 I again, they sh- if you look at the 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 Rams uh, wide receiving core, they are a feared wide receiving core. I mean, even if Cooper Cup regresses a little statistically, and I don't see how he can't. I mean, he had literally the greatest yeah. season ever. He's yeah. gonna regress. He, he can. He can, and he can. St- he'll he'll still be first team All Pro. <laughs> yeah. Okay. So th- we have them at seven. You have the Buffalo Bills at eight. Um, they have Gabriel Davis that is stepping up, Jamison Crowder that they have, of course, to go with Stephon Diggs. So Buffalo at eight, I, I believe they have a very formidable wide receiving crew. And then you have the Chargers at nine. You have Keenan Allen. You have Mike Williams. Uh, you have a, a solid tight end position. And then at 10, you have the Denver Broncos, which is not too many people can name their wide receivers. Um, but you mean Russell have, Wilson is not a wide receiver? No, but I think because Russell Wilson is there, they That's expect the him to elevate That's everyone. The reason. You have Courtney Sutton, Tim Patrick, you have Jerry Judy. I believe that they're going to be okay. And then at 11, your Pittsburgh Steelers, where you think this might be a little bit too high. They're, that's high. That's high because Deontay Johnson still hasn't, he's gotten better with his drops, you know, but he, <clears> that's still an issue with him. Chase Claypool is coming off of a very terrible uh, sophomore, uh, season. sophomore season. I mean, he was lights out the year before, but he regressed so much. Now you expect him to improve back to his uh, freshman season without Ben Roethlisberger, with a with 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 a Mitch Trubisky, or your Kyle uh, Pickett. Yeah, Kyle Pickett as your first round draft pick. I I don't think that's. Uh, that's basically possible. They lost Juju Smith-Schuster. They lost James Washington. Now they do have a terrific tight end. Okay, so uh, maybe that's factored in. But I would say I would rank as a fan. I would say the Pittsburgh Steelers are average as far as receiving. Well, I think the eleventh spot is is okay for them. I mean, I, I still believe in uh, Deontay Johnson is one of the best possession receivers in the NFL right now. He's he seems to be getting better. Claypool regressed a little bit. He did. Now, if he can get back to where he was his rookie season, I think that's going to be good. Fearmouth, I think, is going to be a Pro Bowl caliber player for them and a touchdown machine, I think, for the Steelers. Um, And I think the Steelers are high on their Calvin Austin and George Pickens picks. So I think that they're, they're a very young receiving core. I mean, you're talking about... A fourth-year player, a third-year player, a second-year player, and two rookies. Yeah, but you that are your five main guys. Yeah, I, I and and looking through rose-colored glasses, you I I can see that. I mean, I as a fan, I can see the potential in Fairmouth, Pickens, and Austin. Who and Austin, if everything is true about his uh, his OTAs and his mini camps, that he's the sleeper, guys. If you guys play fantasy football get Austin (laughs) and then you have 12 you have Dallas Dallas loses Amari Cooper and Cedric Wilson yet they're still at number 12 I think people are expecting CeeDee Lamb to take the next step Um, they've got James Washington who never really materialized with Pittsburgh so I'm not sure why people expect and then Michael Gallup who has ability but has been constantly hurt and tore his ACL last year so Dallas at 12 I actually like Seattle's wide receiver core better I believe DK Metcalf is one of the top 10 wide receivers in all of the NFL certainly a mismatch with his strength and speed Speed. Tyler Lockett just simply makes plays continually whether they'll continue to make plays without Russell Wilson we'll see Noah Fant is a is a decent tight end um but just the, just Metcalf and Lockett alone, I think, are, are, are tremendous. And then you have the Saints. Can Michael Thomas come back and be the wide receiver he was for the first three years of his career? Um, he missed all of last year. They draft Chris Olave in the first round. I'm a big believer in Chris Speed. Olave. They signed Jarvis Landry, who's a tremendous possession receiver, tremendous um, leader, going back home, playing at LSU. Now he's in New Orleans. The question is, is Jameis Winston going to be able to get them the ball? Um, but I can see the potential there. 
but 14 is about right. I actually think the Vikings at 15 are a little low because Justin Jefferson is one of the top wide receivers in all of the NFL. Yep. Um, I think he, he is really, really strong. Adam Thielen yeah, has been one of the best wide receivers over the last three years. And then they have enough depth there with Osborne and Wilson and some of the others um, where I think Minnesota is probably a little bit low at 15. Yeah, I, I, I agree. I mean, there, I like this better than the coaching one. I, I mean, there are some uh, uh, outliers here on this list that uh, look like they're in the correct places. But yeah, there's some stingers here uh, that I, I can't agree with. Uh, again, your Chargers being, I mean, your Rams being one of them. Uh, the Philadelphia Eagles, like you mentioned earlier. I mean, again, I want to see the metrics on how these rankings came to fruition again it doesn't meet the eye test i mean if you're going to say that you're going based upon potential on top of these then i can see that you know but it just doesn't look consistent when you're looking throughout all these teams that we've reviewed it seems like you're picking one with uh potential if they have a quarterback in my opinion this is a wide receiver ranking irregardless of who the quarterback is uh on their team and that should be just that yeah i mean Granted, everyone has their opinions. Ernie and I disagree with their opinions in terms of how the rankings played out in these regards. But we'll see. We'll see who's right, whether it be them or, or us. So now I want to shift gears. We've talked a lot of bit, a lot of NFL. We've talked the NBA Finals. We mentioned some of the championships that happened in the last two weeks. But I think this week, Ernie, one of the biggest stories in all of sports was from the world of golf. Mm. And it's not the Canadian Open per se, which Rory McIlroy won today for his 21st PGA title. But it is all the controversy surrounding the new tour, the Live Tour, based out of Saudi Arabia, funded by the Saudi Arabian prince, headed by Greg Norman, uh, and the big names that have agreed, first of all, to go to the Live Tour. Mm -hmm. And then the consequences levied by the PGA on these. So I want to unpack this in a couple of ways. First, I want your thoughts, Ernie, on just the live tour in general. I mean, um, do you think it is immoral for these golfers who have decided to go and play on the live tour and leave the PGA tour? Let's start there. No, if we're talking about financial compensation, why would I argue against taking money out of pocket when some of these golfers, they go to a tournament, they miss the cut, they don't get a penny. They put expenses on the line in regards to transportation costs, uh, room and boarding, and they don't even make a cut. This live tour is giving you guaranteed money if you show up because of the, sh uh, the smaller playing field. So from a financial standpoint, uh, I'm, I'm, I can't blame them. I can't blame them. Even if you're a purist in golf, I mean, you have to understand that the motivating factor on everything, everything that happens on top of this is going to be how you get that next paycheck, especially if you're going to be an up and comer. If, if, if you're not one of these Phil Mickelson's Tiger Woods who makes tens upon tens of millions of dollars, okay? And you're fighting just to make, just to keep your card and make, and make the, if you hit one, if you're invited to one of these tournaments where you're guaranteed a spot and you don't even have to necessarily win because there's concepts within this live tour that actually have a team concept where you can basically earn money and, and you don't pull your own weight if you're just picked on the right team. So I can't, no argument from me from a player's perspective in regards to the finances yeah in okay. regards to compensation so, so i i think that's the first part that we need to unpack i mean i think it's very hypocritical and very unfair for the average tom dick and harry to judge people who are making a financial decision for the betterment of their um their families right so rory McIlroy came out and said hey when you tend to make decisions solely based on finances they usually don't work out in the long run there is some truth to that if all you're looking at is just the financial aspect of it, sometimes it doesn't work out. But let's break it down a little bit on what these guys are doing. And it's not all, but let's take the big names. Phil Mickelson has been uh, rumored to have signed a $200 million contract just to participate in <clears throat> the Live Tour. 
Dustin Dustin Johnson's contract is supposedly in the hundred and fifty million dollar range, and Bryson DeChambeau is somewhere in that hundred plus million dollar range. Those are 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 what those guys have been rumored to have signed just to play on the Live Tour. Mm-hmm. Now, what Ernie has already mentioned is the purses in these tournaments are obscene. So it was a $25 million purse over the weekend. Mm-hmm. The winner got $4 million. The last place guy in every single tournament is guaranteed to earn $120,000. $120,000 to finish last. last. Meaning if you finish last in every single tournament of the 10 tournaments, you're still going to earn $1.2 million by finishing in last, last. place. Yeah. Okay, so now people say, you know, sometimes you, you, what do you want to do about your family? Okay, so for somebody like a Dustin Johnson or any of these guys that are playing, there are only 10 tournaments that they're playing in. So instead of playing a rigorous 20 to 25 tournament schedule where these guys are responsible for paying their way everywhere, mm-hmm. paying for their caddy, and you're not guaranteed to advance. In the live tour, it's three rounds, mm-hmm. no cuts. Everybody makes all three rounds, and you're guaranteed to make $120,000 if you come in last place. So if all you have to do is play 10 tournaments if you're Dustin Johnson. That means you get to be around your family for 40 weeks out of the year. And half of these tournaments are in the United States. Mm-hmm. So you're not even having to travel all around the world. So from a financial perspective, I think, who are we to judge them to make a financial decision that puts them and their families in a more advantageous financial position? And for those that are spending time with their families are important, Mm -hmm. this allows them to play 10 weeks out of the year and earn $100 million over the next few years guaranteed. Mm -hmm. It's hypocritical to judge them to yeah, me. It it is. I mean, you're 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 trying to lure people to stay within your organization just based out of legacy. I mean, yes, the PGA has that cachet, but really, I mean, when it comes down to the dollar, we're, we're in an ever-changing world where, you know, the next fad can come and go in 6 months. I mean, uh, you want to play by the old rule games, I mean, you can be bypassed in a second. It's- now, I don't know how many of you watched the the press conferences leading up to the tournament. You had the big names up there, the Graham McDowell's, the Phil Mickelson's, the Kevin Nas, the Dustin Johnson's, and they were being hammered with the question, how can you play on a tour where they don't treat their people well in Saudi Arabia, where there are human rights violations that are happening in in Saudi Arabia how can you play in a tournament that's financed by them so what I want to do is at least share my opinion uh, on that first of all athletes are not responsible for what other governments may or may not be doing I mean that's government that's needs to be responsible for that and our own US government has a relationship with Saudi Arabia. In fact, we're trying to improve that relationship with Saudi Arabia right now to control the escalating gas prices in this country. So why do we expect golfers to have to make decisions that are politically motivated when they're not the ones making the political rules or political relationships? The second thing that I wanted to touch on in regards to this is the NBA makes an obscene amount of money overseas in china especially in china and if there's a country in the world that is known for human right violations it's china yet no one says anything about that and it does influence the decision making within the nba but that's quiet but we want to judge phil mickelson we want to judge dustin Johnson for playing a golfing event that's mostly around the world just because it's being financed by Saudi Arabia. I just think it's hypocritical and I think it's wrong. Yeah, it is. I mean, it comes from the perspective. I know uh, Boston Celtics had a player who was who was very critical of China. He is no longer with the team. In fact, when he played for the team, China outlawed broadcast of the Boston Celtics into into China. So there, there was some... Uh, financial repercussions in regards to that but i agree with you on top of that i mean uh 
you can say what you want to say, do what you want to do. In the grand scheme of things, uh, you can have opinions and you can have uh, various opinions in regards to what you think is right and what you think is wrong. But when it comes down to what kind of milk am I going to buy? What kind of car am I going to buy? Am I buying gas from this gas station because it comes from Saudi Arabia or does it come from uh, Russia or if it, does it come from the oil fields uh, in the middle of the Pacific Ocean? There's too many things to really worry about. You're probably doing something that you really feel that you disagree with. And I can guarantee you with all the products and services that you go throughout on your on your daily basis, whether it be from on a personal basis or be work related or not, you're probably in touch with one of those entities that are doing something that you don't agree with. I can almost guarantee you that. Especially those of you that are Nike fans that buy these $200, oh, $250 Nike exactly. shoes, which are being made exactly. predominantly in China where they pay people pennies on the yeah. dollar to make these shoes that are sold for $250 mm -hmm. a pop. So who are we to judge? Now, the last thing that I kind of wanted to analyze in terms of this, because I believe this is just... You may not be a golf fan, but I think this has so much real-world implications. Um, just a couple more minutes in regards to this. But Ernie, from the PGA's perspective, they suspended all of these players, yeah. preventing them from playing in the PGA, although they all can play in the majors. So I'm not sure how much of a loss it is to these guys. They can still try to play majors. They're not going to play in everyday tournaments. But who has more at risk here? I think the PGA has more to lose if they lose a lot of their superstar names. Because let's be honest, when Tiger Woods isn't playing, I don't care what's happening exactly. in the PGA. Exactly. So now you take away all the big games or many of the big... If, if Kepka goes and some of these others decide that they're going to go, there are no marquee names left in the PGA. Does it make sense for them to alienate these guys and say, hey... You're going to do this. We're going to get rid of you. Is the PGA strong enough to survive and prosper without many of their big names? No, not from the U.S. Because I can guarantee you the live tournament is going to go after the foreign players. And we know basically based on the Ryder Cup and whatnot. There's a lot of quality golfers outside the United States. Well, so many of these guys are from Great Britain, right? I mean, yeah. Lee Westwood yes. and, and Sergio. Yes. And, and Graham McDowell. I yeah. mean, it makes sense for the Europeans so you're to not, play there. Yeah, exactly. So you're not getting... Basically, what I'm saying is you're not getting a watered-down product. You're actually getting a more concentrated product because you got 48 players compared to 150 players in which you cut down to maybe 72 by the weekend. I mean, you got 48 good players, you know, and, and on top of that, let me just mention one thing about the live tournament. They're getting innovative on top of this because they're breaking it down. Like you said, instead of a 72, a whole tournament, it's going to be a 54 whole tournament. They, they've got a team concept format where you can win prize money just being on the, on the right team. It, and, you know, they have like their own logos and whatnot. They have their own team names. So, you know, just from that standpoint alone, it makes it a little bit more interesting. And I'm telling you right now, with uh, the money that's backing up this league, it's not going to fold like a, a USFL type of league. You're, it's not a one and done. This thing has major financial backing. So it's, it's, it's here for at least the immediate future. I agree. I just think it's it's just so interesting from a business perspective. You know, we talk about Ernie is a, is from the banking industry, and I'm I'm from the business world, and I just think just the business of this live versus PGA and and the dollars that are being thrown around and the marketing of it, I just find it to be so riveting, and and I'm just really interested to see where this goes it's old school arrogant pga just has old school arrogance and they're gonna uh hope and feel that they're the purest within the game stick with them but they don't they don't realize the the most of the their marketing efforts are coming from the tiger woods era and that tiger woods era is basically information based they're on the internet nothing is nothing is old school about them it is what is in it for me now and that's going to backfire for them. Yeah, I certainly think the Live Tour is a definite uh, 
competitor to the PGA. I believe there's enough room for both of them to succeed. I agree. I just believe that the PGA should probably be looking for a way to work with Liv exactly. instead of go against them. Exactly. Because they're going to lose when it comes to dollars. And it's just, it's just a matter of how much money is the prince willing to throw at the Liv Tour. Because at the end of the day, the Liv Tour is going to have to turn a profit to make it worthwhile in the long run. But certainly in the short run, he has all the money in the world to make this work. So switching gears, I'm going to turn it over to Ernie for his closing thought. And I believe we're going to stay in the political realm here and foreign policy. Where are you going with your closing thought? Yeah, I mean, this is something that's been happening since February. I I really wish that this would have died down by now and... But it's not. I mean, now with the the uh, you know the NBA Finals, you've seen uh, some players, at least from the Boston Celtics standpoint, they're wearing shirts in favor of wearing uh, uh, BG shirts uh, in favor of Brittany Griner. And for for those of you who may not uh, that are close to this situation, uh, Brittany Griner is a WNBA player who also plays uh, in a women's professional league in Russia. Uh, in February of this year, she uh, went to join her teammates in Russia, but was caught with uh, what they say was a large amount of... Doobies! She yeah. had some doobies! <laughs> in liquefied form with e-cigarettes, uh, which is definitely illegal. Now, you can take a look at this as, as in two standpoints. Because there is no way that I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to support somebody who breaks a law in a foreign country... And expects to be treated differently because you're from the United States. Okay? And, and because you're a celebrity basketball Exactly. Player. I do not believe in that. Okay. That, that, because there's people right now who are in, in prison for lesser crimes who are not stars, who have been there for longer periods of time, and no one gives a crap. I'm just telling you that right now. Brittany Griner is getting this because she's a celebrity. But on the flip side... Okay, on the flip side, how I look at this situation is that she's being held not because of her uh, uh, crime, well, not for her crime, but because she's a celebrity, and because the Russian government wants to use her as a hostage, as a political trade piece, to get other people out <laughs> that they want to get out, or, or to to punish uh, so, the U S for their opposition to the Ukrainian invasion. Exactly. So Brittany, again, let me make this straight and clear. She deserves to be punished in the appropriate manners, but she is not being punished under the appropriate guidelines because she, in my opinion, and this is so, in, in, in my opinion, this is so blatant because the U.S. consulate, the Russia, the U.S. embassy in Russia has been denied to see her three times in the month of May. And through international law, that is an international crime. They're not doing this. It's blatantly uh, obvious that they're, the rumblings are out there that the Russian government wants to get this guy. His name is Victor Bout. And uh, if you look him up in the internet, Victor Bout is an arms dealer. One of the, his nickname is the Merchant of Death. He sold over... 20,000 machine guns, 10 million uh, rounds of ammunition to not only the U.S., but the Taliban, Sierra Leone, and the Colombian cartel. So they want to, the Russian government wants to get uh, use uh, Griner as a trade piece to get this guy, you know, out of the U.S. Uh, uh, prison center. He's, he's already in his, in his fourth year of a 25-year sentence. And the U.S. government actually wants to shut him down for life, but he he has uh, future trials waiting. But so, that guy sounds like he would be affiliated with the Boston Celtics with those credentials. <laughs> <laughs> but getting back to Brittany Griner, if you're my opinion on top of this is like I said, if you're just looking at this from one standpoint, I know everybody has a flat black and white. She's she doesn't deserve to be there. She or she does deserve to be there because she did the wrongdoings. Again, she did the wrongdoings. And if she was just there for doing the wrongdoings, I am I'm not going to back her. I don't believe we we as United States citizens 
can think we're just so much above everyone else and everyone else, I mean the entire world as far as country, where we could live our lives over here just because it's okay in the United States, thinking that it's okay in another country, that you're obviously a visitor and you don't want to pay attention to, to, to their standards. Their standards is their standards. I mean, I don't, want to, I don't want my kids going into someone else's house and acting like it's their house. You know, if it's a family member, that's fine. But, you know, if it's not your house, you have to pay some respect. That's where I stand on Brittany Griner. But that other house is punishing you for different reasons. And that's where I have a big problem on top of this. Yeah, I, and, I and there are so many people that I believe are coming out in defense of Brittany Griner for the first reason. I don't see that many people coming out for Brittany Griner for what I believe is the reason. And I believe that is the more prevalent reason in this particular case. She does not deserve to be there as a political pawn. You as an athlete rep are visible amongst everybody in this world as a high-profile athlete. You should not be afraid of even visiting a country whose government doesn't believe in your political system and for any minor uh, offense be taken under their custody to abide by their rules of government and be detained as a pawn. I mean, that is absolute... Uh, BS in my opinion that sh that shouldn't happen uh, not in one iota I believe the United States government at this point in time with the evidence stated in regards to them breaking international law in regards to the consultation uh, legal consultation to Brittany Griner that was denied over the past month should take more appropriate steps to at least at least get it back to where it's it's uh, you know just one government's law against one person, not a political prisoner, not part of the system in which, you know, uh, you become a pawn in, you know, government's uh, overall plans to better your country or to defame another country for one reason or another. It should be what that person did and what that person did only. And that is my opinion. I mean, I, I totally agree. And for those of you that don't really understand or maybe you're confused by why Brittany Griner is, is in Russia playing, the reality of the situation is the, the biggest stars in the WNBA or most of the WNBA players, because their season is so short and they're confined to the summer months, almost all the big names and most of the WNBA players play in Asia, be it China, be it Russia, Especially, they have the most prominent leagues and they actually make more money, money. Yeah, playing in a year-long lead in these foreign countries than they do in the WNBA. So that's why she's there in the first place for those of you that are confused. She did make a mistake. She shouldn't have had what she had. And it was an unfortunate situation that Russia in this time with that war and this negotiation is using her, as you say, Ernie, as a political pawn in a game that is an unfortunate situation for her. Right. Um, although, if it was me or you there, and nobody really cared about us, they probably would have let us go. Right. But certainly, if they hadn't let us go, nobody would care if we were stuck there, other than your dog and maybe our <laughs> wives. But that would be that would be it. So, so I mean, great point, great point, Ernie. And I, I know we've talked a lot of political things in terms of the golf, in terms of Brittany Griner today. Uh, but the reality is, sports is in in the political world. I mean, it is part of the political world, and sometimes they're used to their advantage. And sometimes, in this particular case, in Brittany Griner's case, she's it's been used to her disadvantage, disadvantage yeah. so um so gang that that wraps up another show it was a great show a lot of pff talk in terms of pro football we think they're crazy when it comes to the coaching rankings Boo. and not so much crazy but a little bit off in the wide receiver rankings we talked a lot about the nba finals it's tied at two games apiece the series shifts monday night in in san francisco thursday night in boston for sure and we'll see if we go back to Golden State for a Game 7 on Sunday. I think that's likely to happen the way this series has gone every other game. Mm -hmm. If that pattern continues, Ernie's going to be celebrating a championship I, next week, Sunday. I, ho I, hope, I hope it's Thursday. <laughs> I, I, cannot, 
I just can't see Sunday being in our favor. But it could happen. I, I hope you're right either way. Whether it finishes in 6 or 7. But you know what? We were treated to a good game for. Uh, at least until the end. You know, hopefully for the the public viewing audience. You know, this series has been... Uh, you know, exciting for you. So maybe it has. It's been exciting. It's been high energy. The only thing that I think ABC is a little bit concerned about is those Boston fans that continue to say <laughs> "F you, Draymond, F you," and they're trying to figure out a way to mute it every time that they get to their profanity. So yeah. <laughs> I think they can deal without that. But that's typical of a Boston fan and typical of Ernie Ernest uh, as, as a sports rival. So, so gang, that wraps up the show for this week. It's been another great week. We thank you for tuning in. We ask for your support in helping us become the fastest growing podcast in sports podcast in the United States. We ask you to check us out on social media at Sports Rivals Podcast on IG and Facebook Sports Rivals Pod on Twitter and you can check out Ernie fighting with all the fans <laughs> on the Boston Celtics YouTube pages as well but until next week Ernie signing off for the Sports Rivals we're out thank you for joining us on the Sports Rivals Podcast Check us out on social media at Sports Rivals Podcasts on Instagram and at Sports Rivals Pod on Twitter, where you can share topics you'd like to hear. Mm-hmm.